Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Stars and Startups with me, Varun Gumri. Today we're going to be focusing a little bit on sales. We have uh, Shruti Kapoor, uh, the CEO of Wingman, uh, who's with us on the episode. Um, she has an MBA from the IIM. Uh, her, her startup um, has gone through one of the most coveted accelerators in the world, Y Combinator. And she's with us today to chat about sales and of course, uh, Wingman. Uh, hi Shruti, welcome to the program. Thanks, Varun. Happy to be here. No, fantastic. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. You have the distinct privilege of being the second uh, woman founder to be on the show. So thank you for adding some diversity to my episodes. Uh, that's interesting. I should go check out the other, uh, the first one. No, she's she's uh, awesome. Uh, a founder called Sana Vora. Uh, she's the founder of the Wedding Brigade. Uh, solo founder. Uh, awesome. Wow. Um, content uh, business like at least it has started uh, based on content so a lot of uh, you know new to uh, how can I, I can't say newly wed but those who want to get married uh, go on this platform to basically get inspiration for you know how they want to conduct their wedding um, and which has now kind of become a content plus e-com platform right uh, super interesting. Check no, it that's out. a place uh, where you can't get uh, repeat customers. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm sure she's been told that many times by her investors, uh, or at least those she reached out to. <laughs> so, so what do you think? Like, you know, they should start like a another website for babies, like you know, newborns. Then they can actually take over that segment, and then you have repeats, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, you know, sometimes that might be a long wait. So I wouldn't bet that. <laughs> uh, in, in India, it's nine months, right? Uh, <laughs> let's say average is 11. Uh, they wait for a little bit or they try harder. <laughs> um, Fair enough. <laughs> so you're based out of Bangalore, right? And yes, that's right. You, you sell... Uh, wingman all across the world now right um that's absolutely right what, what's what's ailing sales today what what what's preventing people from performing uh in in india that you've seen um so i think um you know of course in in the indian context uh, again you have to break it down b2c versus b2b uh right when it when you think of it in a b2c uh, uh space um, you know, it it really depends on what people are selling, uh, right? Like, actually, just this morning, I was reading an interesting post on LinkedIn, which said, uh, hey, you know, it's not like salespeople in Zoom, uh, you know, overnight got better and they were able to do 300% more sales, uh, you know, just because of coronavirus. It's really that, you know, there was a strong demand for the product. There was already good branding. There was already good awareness. Um and of course, there was a great product, right? So, uh, so I mean, I think that sometimes people kind of uh, rely over index for the abilities of the salesperson without, you know, taking the other things into account. Um, and so I would say that, you know, whatever people are seeing is more, uh, in some sense, the product market fit with the current environment that's going to drive those things. Uh, of course, in India, when, you know, B2C, I would say, uh, would just be a factor of uh, the product. Uh, fit, but when it comes to B two B in India, it's actually been um, 
you know, much more heavily indexed on in-person meetings, right? It's a lot more about relationships, even for smaller deals. Uh, you see that uh, people would ask you to come to their office and, you know, it'll be like a multiple month process of building that. Uh, and that, I think, has uh, gotten impacted. Um, but, uh, you know, I was speaking to someone who's actually in, uh, you know, does sales to people who want to maybe migrate from India. Uh, so in in that space, what, again, used to happen, typically used to be, uh, you know, in-person events uh, where, you know, you would introduce the concept, you'd kind of uh, do a walkthrough of uh, the idea of uh, migrating to a particular country, etc. And that used to be the main lead gen process. But today, when they have moved over to online, uh, they don't see uh, that being impacted as much by the fact that they've moved over to online and people are quite receptive to uh, also, in some sense, saving time and effort and showing up in person. Um, so, yeah, I think it depends. Uh, of course, start of the epidemic, uh, start of the pandemic, at least in uh, the US context, which is where most of our market is, mm. we saw uh, a pretty uh, strong downward spiral uh, in terms of uh, layoffs, right? So the first uh, function in a company that gets impacted when there's a downturn uh, is sales, uh, right? So uh, there was a lot of layoff and that led to a lot of uh, people being jittery about it as well. Uh, Even now, uh, of course, there are still a lot of people who are unemployed, uh, but I think uh, it's slowed down in terms of at least more layoffs. Um, but as a sales uh, function, uh, do you see that you know people are probably over optimizing and and you know uh, because you know the demand's gonna bounce back, right? And you want the salespeople to fire when the iron is hot. Um. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I mean, I think that it's 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 also been actually it's interesting now that you mentioned that, right? So if you think about the way people can sell today, uh, right? People can either, people can only reach out to you remotely, right? That's a given. Now, within that, you have uh, email uh, calls, SMS as maybe the primary channel, uh, right? Um, when people are just trying to do a cold outreach to you. Um, also, you know, in terms of creating awareness for a brand, the channels have gone down, right? Like in-person events is not an option. Uh, billboards are no longer an option, right? Mm-hmm. So people have definitely shifted their budget to over-index for, uh, for these more outbound kind of channels. Um, but what has happened there as well is, um, and again, it depends on who you're selling to, um, earlier, a lot of those phone calls would go to office numbers, right? To landlines which are easier to find in databases. Uh, but, you know, uh, of course, nobody's in the office, nobody is next to a landline anymore. So yeah. whoever phone number is in the database, you're probably more likely to get many more calls. Um, and I'm I'm definitely seeing a lot of that myself. Um, when you're, uh, you know, doing this outbound and, and sales, etc., um, are there different kind of training that typically happens for, say, an, an outbound process? There's an inbound process. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, I think to take a maybe uh, more global B2B perspective, which is what I'm most familiar with, uh, right? Um, people, uh, yes, there is a different set of training that needs to happen uh, for the outbound versus the inbound. Um, so I'll give you a couple of examples of what that difference is. 
um so in an outbound uh, setup uh, right you're doing today everybody is doing a multi channel approach right so they will send you an email then they will also call you um uh, very likely that they will call you when you actually open that email because they're tracking that information uh and if uh, you know if you don't pick the call they might leave you a voice message on linkedin uh, right so uh, a part of that training uh, and outbound in that sense is a fairly uh, innovative uh, innovative segment right because whatever strategy is working today uh, you're guaranteed of only one thing that it will won't, won't be working a year later all right because the buyers just get smarter and they're like oh, okay this must be a cold outreach and so i want to ignore it right everybody has that uh, filter built in um so people are constantly trying to innovate on uh, the messaging on the tone on the channels everything um so in that sense there uh, what we see is it uh, of course there is uh, training on the basics of it uh, right but uh, the exact format and stuff changes so fast that a lot of it uh, people are actually acquiring today uh, by being on linkedin or by taking like a weekend course uh, that some some expert is running uh, whereas for uh, when you think about inbound uh, you know the first touch point uh, what the first touch point in an inbound is supposed to do is not so much sell to you but make sure that you are worthy of being sold to okay all right so their objective from uh, speaking with uh, somebody who's filled out a lead form is uh, you know are you the right audience will you actually be able to buy this do you have a need for this okay. and if uh, some of those basic questions are yes then let me invest more time and effort uh, right and selling to you because it's also expensive to sell to a person who's not right. my target segment um so in that sense it's it's two very different objectives in the first case it's about generating interest uh, where you hopefully have done your due diligence to say this is the right person uh, right uh, in the second case you don't know whether the right person but they have some interest for whatever reason and so you're trying to uh, make sure that you qualify them for being the right person mm. is it possible to train folks uh, in any of these uh, you know to a high degree to be able to deliver a better performance or you know do you say that uh, because a lot of people say sales is something that uh, you don't learn you're either a sales person or you're not yeah um you know i think uh, it's funny like i honestly haven't uh, spent a ton of time in sales myself uh, except today i run a startup that sells to sales people um i spent uh, you know almost a decade in finance and doing uh, analytics and which is probably why i started this startup uh, but we uh, you know we'll talk about that um but you know after I, i was of the same opinion that you know i think people are either born to be sales people or not born to be sales people and i would have definitely bucketed myself in the other category of not uh, born to be a sales person uh but i think what i have realized uh is uh that you know in some sense it's our interpretation of sales that kind of uh, influence that view uh, and i think that that view is more heavily held in india where also sales is uh, in some sense are uh, not um, i think well regarded um right so um i would say today after uh, having spent so much time uh, listening to people understanding sales training programs the different methodologies uh, it's definitely something that can be taught uh, right um the other misconception that people often have is uh, sales people are uh, extroverts um 
which is again not true uh, yeah. being an extrovert uh, can actually come in the way of being a good sales person uh, because if you really think about uh, an evolved sales process what the person needs to do is to be able to understand what your goals are what your priorities are and to then match make it with whatever they're offering is if they don't do the first part which is listening to the customer um and they just kind of pitch their product it won't stick uh, right um so good sales people are actually really good listeners um yeah. and that's that's the other thing that uh, we also see in the stats uh, when we look at sales calls interesting so you're not selling the problem you're you're actually selling for the problem right you're selling for a future state where the problem doesn't exist yeah right the solution uh, but for solving the problem i guess um so so you brought up uh, very quickly uh, in in passing that you know why you got into this uh, business and how you went from analytics uh, to do what you're doing uh, do you want a quick uh, rundown on on you know background and and you know what you've been up to before wingman yeah it uh, depends on how far back i go um so uh, you know maybe just post mba then uh so after my mba i took up a job as an investment banker with morgan stanley um and that was uh, you know that was a very different and interesting experience because it gives you a broad base uh, of looking at businesses but very much with the lens of numbers uh, right there is um there is of course a qualitative aspect to it but a lot of the focus is on the quantitative right um, for example if you're doing an mna uh, you are looking at all of the metrics you're looking at the multiples you're trying to create a valuation even though it's going to be an approximate it's going to be a range uh, but a lot of your recommendations as a banker are number based right um, so that was kind of the uh, mindset that i came with all right and it's a fairly uh, painful and rigorous training ground <laughs> um after that i spent uh, you know 7 8 years in a firm called intellectual ventures which invests in early stage technologies right so okay. there uh, it was because it was so early stage that very often you had to rely more on uh, qualitative stuff but then it still depended on you making a bet about the future in some sense uh after that i decided that i wanted to um, you know get closer to the startup world um and so i made the transition by joining a fintech company because you know finance is there uh, tech is there and then you know it's startup so i you know i thought that that would uh, soft land me into what i might want to do next uh and uh, so i joined a company called pioneer uh, they were already fairly large but they were just setting up in india uh, which sure. gave me the opportunity to be like part of a three members uh, team when uh, they just launched in india Uh, so that was supposed to be a role on go to market which of course sounds fancy but uh, very quickly became just about figuring out what does uh, sales need to look like right in terms of process people um, script uh, everything else mm-hmm. um, and that was my first brush in that sense with uh, sales and smb sales and that was to the india market um my uh, kind of my uh, one frustration in that process became that everybody in the company relied on crm uh, to make decisions uh, right and which is fair i mean i think everybody in the world relies on the data in the crm to make decisions uh, so you you know you would spend a lot of time on fancy dashboards uh, looking at uh, how things are changing but the uh, problem really was that the 
quality of data is not good then whatever conclusions you are drawing from it are of course you know um, not really relevant um and that was a big problem uh, with the crm data uh, and that exists everywhere right like if you ask anybody they would tell you that 5% of information makes its way to the crm um and the problem uh, that i was looking at uh, was listen how do i help this company establish uh, their product market fit in this new context um which included me giving feedback to marketing teams on why i think the leads are not converting right because they are spending good money in generating those leads and then my sales people are not even calling them because they are saying these are poor quality leads but what marketing really needs to know is why are they poor quality leads right like did i not get the segment right did i not get the messaging right was the timing not correct uh, but there is no one to provide that feedback because your sales person is not going to spend time writing yeah. down notes on a lead who is just going to bang the phone on them and they know they are never going to pay money um so basically through that, that that's, a, process, that's an interesting point right because you know if you look at uh, an install campaign or any programmatic campaign uh, if you're driving leads that feedback happens like how many clicks happened how many showed up on the website and that basically starts to learn to become better but if it actually goes to an offline uh, kind of process if there's an individual calling uh, you don't have the same kind of feedback was it probably you know uh, populates a form and the form has to be you know there's a there's a calling process and then there is a interaction process and then it goes back right and that feedback loop doesn't actually happen so you're saying that that feedback loop never existed uh, which would happen say in a digital world and uh, that was something that actually was a huge challenge for say marketing etc to do a better job at say you know getting better quality leads yeah i i have i you know i never put it in that framework but it makes a ton of sense right like if you were to run a google ad campaign uh without uh, ever having access to the uh, end result data uh, right um you could come up with uh, the smartest campaign but you will not know which ones uh, are valuable to run right got it um and so um, yeah i mean i think in some sense what is missing and what you rightly pointed is that the voice of customer is what goes missing right in in a fully digital journey that voice of customer uh, is easy to capture in the actions that they take uh, then it goes to a sales team that voice of customer doesn't flow back uh, to your product or your marketing team um so that was kind of my inspiration to say listen uh, there is nothing in the world you can do to uh, change sales rep behavior on this uh, but you know what today you don't you already have tons of these sales call recordings which nobody has the time uh, to listen to uh, why don't we take that and uh, get data out of it all uh, right and why don't we then take that data and also correlate that with the outcomes that we are seeing on the crm uh, so you are able to make a much more logical connection and close that loop and that closing that loop is of course relevant in many different uh, functions and for many different reasons um so yeah so that's how uh, we uh, first conceptualized ringman uh and uh, i was like uh, you know i was uh, i've been speaking to uh, my two co-founders uh ideating on different things and then when we came up with this we all felt that there was uh, definitely a strong uh, connect and we also of course then validated the idea how how did you guys get together um do you want to talk a little bit about your co-founders sure so i have two co-founders uh murli and shrikar um I met Murli uh, through a common friend. So Murli is an uh, uh, interesting uh, 
uh, journey back into India. He, uh, you know, he, he of course is born and brought up here. Uh, went uh, to the US working for a company called Like. dot com, uh, which eventually got acquired by Google. Uh, and then after a few years at Google, he decided that he wanted to spend a year traveling the world uh, and move back to India. Um, uh, and you know, somewhere in the back of his head. Uh, he wanted to also start up a company once he moved back. Um, so you know, I met him uh, during that period uh, when he had just moved back to India uh, through a common friend who was basically his classmate in uh, IIT and my classmate in uh, MBA. Um, and then we, you know, we actually spoke for uh, you know almost over a year before we uh, jumped and picked on the idea. Uh, and uh, our third co-founder, Shrikar, uh, you know. Is, really good friends with murli uh, shrika was at that time working um, in uh, uber as a, a founding member of their ml infrastructure team uh, and murli and shrika had known each other for a decade and uh, he then convinced shrika to also pack his bags and move back to india wow okay um, that's 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 a cool story because i mean uh, you know one of the things that i've been discussing over the last uh, week or so is finding technical co-founders right uh because there are enough people like me who are just going to talk and and you know uh have like these world changing ideas but uh at least some of the challenges even for people who work in product work in different segments uh just finding a uh you know a technical of co-founder uh you know just good teammates uh is a classical example of of being something that needs to be solved which is not so straightforward um yeah it's not I got lucky with having two of them. No, that's awesome. Um how how did uh, how was your experience at uh, the IIM because you're also a rare breed uh of of women graduating from business schools. Uh I think you contribute to about 20% or 25% of of all graduates. <laughs> um it yeah I mean I, I don't think it's as uh, unique a breed as maybe women graduating from engineering colleges but uh, yeah. nonetheless. <laughs> um no so uh, you know so i actually had uh, left india uh, after my 10th standard uh, oh. i studied in singapore for my plus 2 and then also for my university education uh, which incidentally was in biotech um so i you know i joke around that maybe when i applied to iim they were like i don't we've not seen a profile like this like this person you know yeah. has <laughs> exposure outside is not an engineer and is not a commerce graduate uh so i think maybe that's why they took it they just uh you know got a little flummox uh, uh but yeah so when i came uh when i joined uh, uh, ima i uh, i had uh, in some sense different things to answer for myself at that point um you know i'd already been outside the country for seven years um right. it was also some of my more in that sense formative years right um so my network uh, in some sense also existed outside of uh india i hadn't interacted with my peer group uh right. here for a while so in a lot of ways i didn't know what to expect right so i was just coming in a little bit blind um but then uh, you know i absolutely uh, loved and uh, uh, thrived on that experience um you know it was uh, of course uh, they you know they try and make it fairly stressful fairly compressed so that uh, yeah. you know the idea is that they're preparing you for the corporate world which i don't know um but uh, in a lot of ways i didn't find it so overwhelming um maybe because i had uh, varied experiences and i wasn't necessarily 
looking as much at it from a purely academic standpoint as uh, just reconnecting with my peer group back in india so it was a lot of fun um, yeah and uh, i think uh, I, i mean at the end of the day when people ask me today or oh, you've been to a great college and you've also been to y combinator and you know uh, or when people ask me for advice for their kids on what colleges and stuff to choose i'm like at the end of the day uh, you know a big part of what a college offers to you is uh, just a peer group and the camp um, yep. so uh, you know you have to just be cognizant of that and uh, education is uh, maybe the third thing on that list <laughs> if not oh, yeah, spot on right i mean ultimately it is that um, you know a circle that you create and the network that you create uh, i mean which also led you to your uh, co-founder and uh, his and the other co-founder right so it yeah. does it does make a huge impact on on you know who you hang out with right <laughs> um um no that's that's awesome I, i mean you brought brought in the the yc tag as well but i'll i'll save that for later for the moment Uh, I just want to switch back to Wingman for a second. Um, so you talked about Wingman being, um, you know, a, a assistant uh, for sales folk to do a better job and also to help the organization uh, optimize on a lot of activities that they do, right? Um, so how does it work exactly? Can you just give us a rundown of what Wingman does today uh, and as a product, how does it operate? Sure. Um, so i think of wingman as a tool that allows uh, people to do a surgery and a postmortem on sales calls um so effectively it does two things one is in real time uh, which is you know the surgery aspect of it when the call is happening it can uh, give feedback to the sales person right so it can help the sales it can tell the sales person listen you've been speaking for too long uh, why don't you pause and ask a question right so especially in a consultative b2b type of selling those things are really important um for you to uncover the pain points right uh, and then it can also suggest to people cue cards based on what they're talking about um let me just take an example maybe which is not uh, which is maybe easier for everyone to understand like if yeah. somebody from the credit card industry called you uh, and said listen i'm selling this hdfc card or whatever uh, you know very often you will tell them listen i already have a citibank card or whatever else other card right um and what you would expect an intelligent sales person to do is to then tell you specifically versus your card how does their card compare right but most sales people are not able to do that because you can imagine that that grid can get really complex right uh, and they they are not expected to remember all of those possible combinations of features uh instead what would happen if they had a tool like wingman it would show them a set of talking points saying okay you know this person mentioned the citibank credit card and these are the ways in which we are better all right so you're not relying on them either misrepresenting information or uh, just giving you a blanket uh, oh we are the greatest card in the world kind of answer um so that's what it does in real time in terms of the surgery aspect and you can think of many different types of voice enabled cue cards that people can put there on a sales call uh, and then the second thing it does is uh, it takes in uh the sales call recordings it transcribes it and it also correlates that with the crm data so that it tells the sales managers listen these are the calls uh where you won the deal these are the calls where you lost the deal and these are some of the uh, trends that we saw in all of the calls that you won uh yeah. in right uh, or 
uh, sales managers also like to know i have uh, some sales reps who are doing really well and i have some sales reps who are not doing well how do uh, i make the reps who are not doing well do better right mm. and for that i want to know what are the uh, practices that my good sales reps have that i want the rest of my team to uh, incorporate right so you can also do that kind of baselining without having to listen to 50 calls of your good reps and 50 calls of your bad reps uh, because the tool can give you those uh, trends uh, of course you know it's not a complete black box you need to have an inkling of what some of those trends are that you want to look for and then the tool helps you track those much more easily so so then there's a setup process where you're actually telling uh, the system who's a good rep and who's a bad rep and that's the training process is a uh, the way i understand it um so that actually you don't need to train the system on you can uh, you know any manager will be able to tell you these are the good reps and these are the bad reps right so uh, what you can do is you can eyeball those things fairly easily um and then of course it does uh, you know take in the data on what is a loss deal or a one deal from the crm um so yeah it it takes it uses that for the training part as well okay um so uh, you know we're doing this uh, conversation on zoom and uh, you know i can see uh, another participant in this uh, call it is called the wingman note taker um so so there is some plugin that works on zoom that basically starts uh, you know giving you prompts uh, how do you guys create this and and you know who's the fly on the wall here <laughs> the fly on the wall uh, yeah maybe i should have should name this thing um so uh, the way it works is uh, it syncs in with the cal- syncs up with the calendar of the salesperson right um, now once it syncs up with the calendar of the salesperson it knows all of their upcoming meetings uh, right so so imagine in a tech sales context um, most of these meetings are happening over video platforms because people also need to do demos uh, right so it syncs up uh, it knows okay this is a meeting which is with someone outside of wingman uh, and there is a meeting link uh and then the bot automatically tries to join those meetings um so the great thing is that you know you might have one meeting on zoom and one on google meet and it will still be able to join both of them uh and you don't have to do different types of things um and since the bot is there it's listening to the call in real time it's of course also recording the audio and video of it um and so i don't need to take notes and there's also a feature that allows us to uh, just bookmark important things instead of having to take notes um so yeah uh it's a very very good uh system for me to not have to write down anything or remember anything i think my memory might be suffering now no that <laughs> well i mean that that's all of us right the moment technology has entered our lives uh you know i think our ability to do certain things have actually diminished uh but in other aspects uh, you know amplified right so uh you know it's it's i guess it's both ways now you have record of every single thing that happened in this call right <laughs> but uh you'll have to then depend on that notes to say hey what did we actually do um i mean which is why i love google photos right uh, i'm i have a terrible memory and everything gets synced to to google of course the all knowing google um and <laughs> but but you know i was just going through some of the stuff uh, yesterday because you know close family member passed but i could actually see you know all the memories i have of that person and i thought this is a great feature right i, I didn't realize um you know until a few few days back that that feature was actually normal all i had to do was type in 
uh, you know, the person's name and I'd saved it at one point. And then it just gave me all these memories I have with that person. So now Wingman becomes an assistant of sorts. Now that you're measuring the performance of these salespeople and, you know, all the other things that are uh, defined in the system is an op- opportunity for it to become better because people don't have that kind of delta, right? Yeah. No, I think that's a pretty valid question, uh, which is, you know, if there isn't an infinite potential to which we can improve, then does it mean that, uh, you know, in some sense, the product isn't useful beyond mm-hmm. a certain yep. level? Um, so a couple of things on that, right? One is, uh, in today's environment, uh, you're not, it's not like you're selling a vacuum cleaner for 20 years and, you know, the vacuum cleaner is the same, the market is the same. Uh, and your client base uh, and their aspirations are the same, uh, right? Literally every six months, uh, your product is changing, your competition's product is changing, uh, and the priorities uh, uh, and, uh, you know, the attention that you might be competing for uh, with your uh, persona is also changing, right? So uh, the playbook that people are operating with is constantly evolving, uh, right? So one of the things that the product does is help companies understand how to evolve that playbook. All right. Uh, so it's not just about saying, you know, uh, individual performance and, you know, there's, there's, there's just one thing that I need to improve for myself. Um, so, so that's definitely an important part of it. Uh, right. The second part of it is, uh, like I said, the re- reliance on uh, taking notes um, because Whatever said and done, um, you know, even if I wanted to capture everything from this conversation, I will only remember, you know, at best 10% of it, all right? But what is much more relevant for me to do is if later on uh, I can go back and search for specific snippets, right? If I wanted to know what was the small talk that we uh, talked about, and then six weeks later when I'm following up with the same customer, uh, be able to bring up context from there, then that's you know, going to make a huge difference in the win and loss. Um, so it's also humanizing the sales process a little bit. Uh, and in that process, ensuring that the salesperson can actually spend their time and energy in listening rather than maybe getting distracted with remembering things, pulling out information and all of that. Um, the kind of changes that we've seen, uh, right, it's, uh, it's interesting. So the way people use the product is a few different uh, things. So sometimes people choose a theme as an organization um, and say that, you know, there's this one thing that I want everybody in my organization to get better at, uh, right? So uh, in one instance, uh, the company that uh, was working with us, uh, they're India company selling to the U.S. market. And their challenge was that, you know, when we looked and analyzed a bunch of their calls, the question that was coming up uh, was around trust, right? Uh, and the way it was getting defined was, uh, the customers were asking, hey, where are you based? You're based in India. Okay. Um, right. And that was it. Right. So the sales reps were answering that at the surface level. Right. Uh, but really, the underlying question was, can I trust you? Right. Uh, right. Um, and we saw a really bizarre and classic example of this in a call where, you know, the customer said, uh, you know, I, I, if you're based in India, I don't think I can trust you because I've had some poor experiences with companies right. in India uh, outsourcing to them in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the sales rep, of course, uh, you know, was a bit uh, defensive and caught off guard. And he replied by so, saying, so what, we have also had bad experiences uh, with clients in the U.S., but we still sell to them. <laughs> and, uh, but, 
you know, the, the real underlying lesson there was that, hey, uh, trust deficit is something that you need to address and that's something right. that you should put into your sales script. And so they were able to change that into the process, right? So within three months, what they saw was that the conversion rates doubled uh, oh. by just introducing a few statements and ways through which they could showcase to their customer proactively that yes, while we are an Indian company, listen, this is the number of clients we have. These are the different uh, clients we have and these are the different countries uh, that we work with. Um, so that, you know, being able to do that kind of on the offense rather than on the defense is much more effective. Um, so yeah, some... some uh, Basically just getting into the psyche of the, the sales process. Do you... Does the product and, and does your team get into that as well? Or that is completely defined by the clients that you have? So we do also make recommendations to the customers uh, on what, uh, you know, uh, what are some of the common blockers? What are some of the common questions uh, that are showing up on their sales calls? Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, in, in one of our packages, we all customers to say that listen i don't have the bandwidth internally to listen to calls and coach yeah. people that we can bring in an external coach for them uh, who can you know do a fortnightly coaching for their team by listening to calls and uh, analyzing it so uh, it it really depends on what they are looking for uh, the product itself what we realized was a big win was um, you know even in the example that i gave you right about building trust uh, in the past what would have happened is the manager would have maybe come up with the same insight, right? Maybe through intuition and gone back and told the sales rep this. Uh, but two things would have happened. One is the sales rep, you know, not just that they're resistant to change, but they also have too many things to remember on the call, sure. might not have incorporated the new script, right? Yeah. Uh, and two, when the manager was then trying to see whether or not this is making a difference, he wouldn't have known whether it's failing because the sales rep didn't change uh, the script or whether the script wasn't having an impact, right? Now in the new reality, what they saw was a month later after doing the initial training, uh, you know, the sales rep uh, numbers in terms of mentioning these trust building phrases hadn't changed, right. right? But they could easily go back and show to the sales rep, listen, you haven't changed this behavior. We need to do this experiment, uh, right? So it's a little bit like doing an A-B test on your emails or on your marketing uh, copy. Uh, in this case, you're allowing people to do that A-B test also on their sales calls. Uh, you know, th this seems uh, to be like one of those products that you could take into every smartphone and just make every human conversation better, right? <laughs> that, like, <laughs> I, I think that should be your portfolio of uh, products that you're going to create beyond sales automation or assistance. <laughs> Have you guys thought about it? So, you know, the, the name Wingman is also, of course, broadly used in the dating industry. So when I meet people uh, in the U.S., very often they'll be like, hey, you know what, your product idea is really cool for uh, the dating perspective as well. Can you, like, you know, have a thing that whispers into my ear when I need to approach some girl on the bar, in the bar? So. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, to, to, I mean, to take that analogy further, right? Like, you know, you're talking about uh, remembering small things, uh, you know, like, um, the chit chat which you, which you talked about, you said you could use this as notes for the next time to remember what you discussed the last time. You know, I think it, it in human interaction is super important. And for people who have a bad memory or, or losing memory like I am, it's going to be perfect, right? Yeah, fair enough. 
<laughs> it's it's like how facebook reminds you that your friend's birthday is coming up there you go but but this is a lot more nuanced right because i'm about to call someone it shows up and it says hey this is the last call you had with this person why didn't you ask them about you know the new pup they got or you know it's somebody is a uh, anniversary like you said but maybe it's more more to do with just having these conversations right like uh, are you able to have those small uh, memories of things that you did together uh did uh, um did did your investors say hey this is the multi billion dollar market like we should be focusing on that and not sales <laughs> i think uh, b2b is the flavor of the month uh, right with all of the hot ipos and fundraising that has been happening so uh, no fortunately or unfortunately they didn't <laughs> um what have some of the challenges been uh, in building this like you you obviously got the brand names and you got some interesting investors um you know are there were there any challenges at all yeah i mean i think no startup journey is complete without a ton of them uh, i'll maybe just pick a couple uh, one uh, is definitely the receptivity to the idea of uh, recording calls and being monitored Uh, right uh, both from a customer's point of view and from the sales rep's point of view sure uh, right so a lot of times sales reps uh, would look at this and say you know this is a very big brotherly kind of 1984 um you know behavior and i you know uh, i i won't i don't want to sign up for it um so that's that's definitely one part of it and of course um, you know a lot of uh, geographies require two party consent and uh, so you need to also tell the customer that listen this call will be recorded is that okay with you mm-hmm. uh, right so there is also some uh, hesitation and resistance to that uh, the good thing is that i think over a period of time as people have experienced the product um, they've realized that it's worth uh, that pain all right especially when it comes to like you said like remembering uh, the small talk having to spend much li- less time filling out notes in the crm and those type of things um the other uh, challenge uh, of course is that you know when people think of ai uh, they immediately think of uh, magic uh, right so it's like you know i will give you 25 calls and then can you tell me what's going right and what's going wrong um, and listen if you've spent 25 years in the sales in- sales industry and you know these reps for the last uh, maybe two or three years uh, you better have a strong intuition on what some of those things are and the tool can help you check which of those are correct all right uh, it's you know ai is not at the level where i can say listen this is what my business is and go create a website copy right um, similarly the ai is not going to be able to tell you out of the black box that listen these are uh, exactly the things that you need to be doing without you giving it some input um, so in that sense both internally and externally managing the expectations of what ai can deliver uh, and deliver reliably Uh, right so one of the things that people ask us is hey can it tell me when the customer is excited so i know that this deal is going to close now uh, while yes that sounds uh, of course really fantastic uh, the thing is that uh, you know most sentiment analysis models have uh, been formed on data from like customer support centers uh, where you know your emotions are much more pronounced right in a sales call people are you know typically at least uh, at least in a b2b context not going to give you a gali and you know uh, uh, basically express uh, themselves as vividly um so so some of those things uh, 
saying that yes this is an ai tool but that doesn't mean that it's going to magically change uh, the world for you um uh, is is a challenge because if you overpromise and underdeliver uh, then of course you know you're setting yourself up for failure um so i think those are probably the two biggest uh, things that uh, we've had to contend with um have you had a problem pricing a product like this because you know sales uh, is a revenue generating channel so obviously you're able to price better uh, because it, you can actually show you know you can show there's there's value being generated uh, but you know what was the willingness to pay uh, how do you charge today yeah so that's a good question we charge uh, of course on a per rep um, per month kind of subscription model basis um there has been um so you know i don't think that a outcome based uh, model is really possible here right because um whereas in a you know if you're maybe developing a marketing tool where the entire journey is digital you can maybe link the outcomes directly to your product uh, right but here a lot of the outcomes are dependent on the human being change in the human behavior um so uh the way people think about the roi for this uh is uh, a couple of things one is can this help me retain uh, my talent better mm-hmm. uh, right and what is the cost if uh, somebody leaves me after 15 months versus 18 months uh, you also have to remember that sales is a fairly high turnover short uh, lifespan of a sales person in the company uh, kind of setup sure. um the second is uh, again linked to that which is uh, improving ramp up time Uh, right it currently takes uh, somewhere around 3 to 6 months to ramp up a b2b sales person mm-hmm. um and if you think of those costs in a us context both in terms of the salary of the person but also in terms of the missed business opportunity uh, that <coughs> amounts to more than 100000 right so if i can shorten that then that is the big win uh, for the company um the third thing of course is in uh, directly being able to measurably uh, improve the close rates or uh, the quota attainment uh, of your reps at the bottom versus the reps at the top right and uh, it's easy to show people because people already know that delta it's easy to show people the potential right so if you ask any sales manager uh, that top performer is doing maybe 3 to 5 times the revenue that their bottom performer is doing uh, and so it's easy for them to say listen even if i can't get the bottom performer to become the top performer Uh, even with a 20% business mean for my organization um so uh, those are some of the ways in which people think about the roi uh, we of course do the pricing just you know as a standard saas per seat model okay so so do you price it like what uh, $50 a month $100 a month uh, or is it like yeah, tier it's $500 it starts at $500 uh, per year for a rep okay that that's a uh, that's not expensive for an american business if they're able to show the kind of roi yeah um did did uh, yc help uh, figure out some of this pricing structure because obviously they have the local knowledge uh, right and, and i think a lot of their advisors are part of that community as well yeah so you know pricing uh, is a bit like valuation in investment yeah. banking right like uh, it 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 doesn't operate in isolation i can come up and uh, have the best uh, model uh, but uh, it will depend on you know the 
amount of competition the prices of my competitors um uh, a lot of those external factors as well um so i think that uh, maybe that wasn't necessarily an area that we also went to them uh, for advice with um but no i think pricing for us was a combination of uh, figuring out more uh, what segment we wanted to target um, and the other funny thing that we learned um, and maybe that's relevant for other people as well is you know there is always a cornerstone for that tech stack for whatever industry you're selling to right uh, in our case the cornerstone for the tech stack is uh, what people are paying for their crm right and they're always going to say okay i'm paying this much for salesforce so this is what i can pay for you uh, right so uh, so some of those things come into play i think when people think of pricing uh, and at the end of the day uh, uh, you know so we also try to understand whether uh, people think of it in terms of roi and what is the right way to position that what we realized was uh, when we asked people hey uh, you've been using maybe a competing product for the last two years uh, when you decided to do the renewal did you calculate roi right and how did you do that and they said listen uh, you know user engagement and uh, adoption is the roi uh, and that's all we care about um so yeah i mean i think it's it's a bo- bit more of an art than a science what's kind of traction like uh, are you guys seeing a lot more adoption in in kind of like covid now where you know there's a lot more zoom uh, and and you know video calling uh, being enabled yeah i mean i think uh, of course uh, the selling behavior in some industries has changed uh, yeah. for us most of our industries it's not that the selling behavior has changed because in the us uh, i think for uh, licenses or for acvs less than $50000 yeah. people were anyways only doing remote uh, you know even in the pre covid world sure um, but what has definitely changed is uh, the ability for the sales managers to uh, you know connect and stay connected with the sales pipeline uh, so today what we hear very often from even small teams uh, and their managers is you know listen earlier i was sitting in the pod with them and i could listen to their conversations just by sitting there yeah. and i knew who was doing what how many calls were they making i at least had a gut feeling about it right. today i feel completely lost and disconnected so i need the tool um so it's definitely uh, you know in the last couple of months once uh, the layoffs have Uh, somewhat stabilized uh, we are seeing uh, a lot more people coming in with a very strong and clear intent uh, and a, a quick timeline to adoption um, so yeah in that sense it's, uh, it's been working out well are you guys uh, you know have hockeystick growth are you hiring yes uh, we are hiring and uh, yes we have been uh, seeing some strong growth uh, of late uh, we're hiring for a few different roles right now uh, including for uh, i'm looking for someone uh, to work with me as you know what you would call a chief of staff or a founder staff position uh because there's a lot of uh, new initiatives that we want to try out um yeah and also looking for some engineering and design talent nice is the new initiative uh, the dating uh, uh plugin or something else <laughs> not yet fantastic uh hey thanks thanks again this has been a great conversation uh wish you guys best of luck uh you know and and hope to see you uh you know become another billion dollar baby from uh you know india thanks varun aapke muh mein ghee shakkar